0: We hope everybody enjoyed episode 63 with professional coach and coach educator Gerard Jones. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect today.
1: What I think gold dust is, is something that everybody wants, but it's very difficult to obtain. It's that insight, that aha moment, or the eureka moment where the connected A and B. So there might be something as mastering a skill where the coach has given a little bit of feedback for somebody to master a technique, maybe a volley in the ball. And it's that moment where they have that sweet connection and they finally realize, I know how to do this now. So it's that little sparkle or that little insight and eureka moment where they've realized I've gained improvement or I've gained knowledge that I've applied into practice.
0: We're excited to welcome Matthew Clement onto today's episode of The Golders Podcast. Matthew is the manager of the FIFA Training Center, a platform full of cutting-edge training sessions, analysis, and related video content run by FIFA for coaches of all levels. Matt talks about his role at FIFA including working with the famous Arsene Wenger. He's previously worked with the Welsh FA and worked within professional academies in Britain, and has a wealth of knowledge around coaching and coach education to share with you. Hi, Matt, welcome to the Goldust podcast today.
1: Pleasure to be here both.
0: So Matt, first question as always, Goldust to us is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you?
1: I suppose I'd like to look at it from the receiver's perspective. And what I think dust is, is, is something that everybody wants that's very difficult to obtain. It's that insight, that aha moment or the eureka moment where the individual is connected A and B. So there might be something as mastering a skill, where the coach has given a little bit of feedback for somebody to master a technique, maybe a volley in the ball. And it's that moment where they have that sweet connection and they finally realise, I know how to do this now. So it's that little sparkle or that little insight and eureka moment where they've realised I've gained improvement or I've gained knowledge that I've applied into
2: practice. Well, Matt, you and I have known each other for 10 years. Uh, yeah. Times flown. Uh, it just seems like yesterday. Now, I know at that point uh, of your career, you've 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 amassed quite a lot of experience in development and in coaching. But if you had to introduce yourself to a group of people that uh, that don't know you that would love to get to know more about you, you and your professional career, what would you say about yourself?
1: Yeah, I suppose where, where I'd start off is the the variety really in terms of coaching that I started my journey within the grassroots game had a passion for helping people and started coaching and helping people with sports science so I really just kind of grew into that and started working then as a football development officer so I was able to combine my passion for coaching with a passion for helping people getting more people playing the game raising standards by delivering coach education and moving people further up the ladder and through working with the football Association of Wales as a football development officer I then had the opportunity once we had a restructure to be made girls national under 16s manager so I moved more into player development into supporting players journey and leading a national squad and but I've always been obviously passionate about my career. So I never always just had one job. It's only been the last two years where I've settled and had one job. So starting off, I went to Shrewsbury Town because I was based up in central Wales and started working within player development, taking the under 16s at Shrewsbury Town, which I fully enjoyed. And from a part time journey, Moving on to Cardiff City, again, taking the 15s and under 16s, and then at Swansea City, further on, taking the under 14s. So I've always combined other part-time jobs with a full-time job. And then I just pull you back, really, to when I was taking the girls' national squad, and there was an opportunity. um, Something I've always been passionate about is learning and technology. And combining that with football, so we we created portals where our players could log in, reflect on their uh, their games, and we could comment and support what they've been reflected on on that on best practice. So the organisation had saw what we were doing and wanted to create that for um, coaches all over Wales. So I had the opportunity then to kind of in, in concept really coach Cymru, which was a uh, a coach ed, informal coach education tool. So that's how I then moved on to my final jo- job where I am now was because I moved from play development into then the, the coach and technology world. And I've always backed that up as well in terms of a master's degree in sports science and obviously doing a teaching degree and being a part-time lecturer as well.
0: It sounds you've got a lot of experiences and a lot of knowledge to share and, and obviously very keen to learn. Uh, we're going to touch on now uh, your current employee and, and, and what your current role within that organization is. So, can you just share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so my current role or the current company I'm with is Federation International, the Football Association. So, everybody knows them as FIFA. Um, most people that aren't involved in football will know FIFA because of the computer game, but obviously, FIFA being the governing body of world football. Um, and my role within that is the FIFA Training Centre manager. Um, the FIFA Training Centre is a support, it's a supporting platform for world coaches. Um, first off, we have a public area where the idea is, is to inspire coaches and technicians to support them and for them to fall in love with the game. And we do this via analysing the game and supporting people on how to analyse the game via articles and um, learning content, we then look at linking the game to the practice, we support coaches and technicians on designing the practice, but designing meaningful practices. There's loads of great examples all over the world of of companies and organisations that show analysis articles, but then also give you training sessions. But what's meaningful for technicians is how do you design an effective practice that supports your players going into the game? And that's what we attempt to do on the FIFA training center is to bridge that gap so coaches and technicians can create effective practices. And then the final part of the training center is what underpins the foundation. So creating a high performance environment. And again, we do that via interviews with experts, um, case studies of how to create a high performance environment. And this might be leadership and management. It might be talent identification or talent development. And there's all different types of content on the public area, which is the fifa training center.com where you'll see all these articles, videos, and hopefully you know we will keep creating content which is of value to technicians all over the world
0: you mentioned in there about interviewing exemplars what are some of the key things that you've learned from those those interviews and from who if you don't mind sharing
1: yeah i think the first and foremost that we've learned is there's no right approach i think there's always new research that comes up or evidence that comes out that there's a certain way to do something. But I think what we found from going into different countries and interviewing different specialists is everybody has their own unique way of doing something. But the key thing that they had was the alignment of the organisation or the alignment of all the staff within the process and the outcomes that, that they want, that everybody understands what the highest strategic goals are for whatever the target is and everybody's aligned and working towards that. You know, what the outcome you want doesn't really matter as long as the how everybody's aligned and supporting each other and working towards that goal. That that would be the, the first and most important thing. And then I think the other aspect then is making sure that there's clarity within your message. So rather than, telling a story and jumping from A to B to C to D, what we've kind of found is that the successful or the best case studies were had three or four key points. And there was just a little bit of information around that. So everybody understood there was clarity within messages within organizations.
0: So Matt, you mentioned that your official title with FIFA is the uh, training center manager. Can you go into more detail around what that role entails?
1: Yeah, the the, the role principally is leading the the technological setup of the FIFA training center. So working with our content steering group to conceptualize our target groups. Who do we want to create content for? What type of content do we want to create for these individuals? How are we going to support the professional development of the game globally? So, Manage the daily operations of the training centre. So making sure that we've got fresh new content going on the training centre, that the content is there, it's working, and people are looking at the content, making sure that the FIFA training centre always puts high-quality content, and that's managed. So we have a rating system, and you can leave comments. So we're making sure that the comments that are meaningful and add value that they are taking into account and we can adjust what what content we put on. Whereas if people prefer a certain type of content or a certain author, we know we would recreate that. And a part of the job then is managing the internal and external teams. So we have internal teams within FIFA that contribute to the training center, but we also work with fantastic providers, uh, one being a learning provider, uh, being learning pool that kind of support us in terms of creating content and uh, managing content and sport radar that also, also help us film our content and then kind of bring our training sessions to life. and then kind of contribute to the strategic development and innovation within the training center.
2: Opportunities to work for FIFA don't come around too often. How did your current role come about? Yeah, I suppose it started with
1: um, an opportunity at the Football Association of Wales where I, I, I moved across to develop Coach Camry, which was an online portal for professional development and created content for that platform. And I, I received an email to show FIFA and share what we, we in Wales had built. Um, so having given them a show around obviously invited to an interview to discuss with them the role of FIFA training center manager, where it followed up with a phone call from us and asking me to work and bring to life the FIFA training center. So for me, it was obviously a shock, but something that meant a lot to me. And a part of the conversation was that we had a, we had a connection and we, we kind of just bounced off each other, which I think, when that came up first, and it was more about the person, that meant a lot to me. I knew then that's where I, I had to go.
2: She so you had a telephone call from Arsene Wenger. Can you come and work for me?
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know, it, obviously a shock to the system, but, <laughs> you know, something that you treasure, really.
2: So I've been built up, I guess, a library of knowledge previously With uh, in working for the Welsh Affair, you worked for... Shrewsbury Cardiff Swansea and now working for FIFA take us on a whistle stop tour of what it's like working for that organisation in comparison to your previous uh your previous clubs
1: yeah i think the most important thing is obviously fifa being a world organisation is that you're working with many different cultures And it's something that obviously through organizing and managing national squads, I'd have a little sample of, but obviously when you're playing against opposition, you you don't get the opportunity to really learn from them personally. So I think that the biggest thing that I've learned is how to communicate with different cultures. Um, a, A great example would be within our technical development team, there are 12 different nationalities. So, There's there's so many different languages, so many different cultures, so that the first thing for myself is obviously being clear. Now, naturally, I talk very fast, and it's something I've been conscious of that to slow down my talking so people can understand, but also, as you'll realise, I have a very strong Welsh accent, so again, it's something in terms of controlling the tempo of how I talk and how I animate, how I speak. Um, So there's just clarity within message. I mean, I'm quite fortunate that FIFA's uh, formal language is English. So we communicate within English and everybody speaks English. However, being cautious of other nationalities, I'm learning Spanish. Something I've always wanted to do was learn a language. Um, And I think from going around and filming, people appreciate that you're trying And one thing that does stick out in terms of FIFA is everybody speaks more than one language. Everybody speaks around four or five languages. So the first thing I realized is people are open, they're flexible, and they want to learn. And I've had to change my mindset to make sure that I can keep developing. Yes, I've come outside my comfort zone in many, many ways. But I think there's been that big challenge um, and if, if I move on to uh, the next point around that, it would be, um, we went to Morocco um, to, to film best practice. And during the lunch break, we normally allow two hours between filming so we can get as many training sessions and interviews in as possible. But we had to adapt our filming because they wanted three hour, a three-hour break so they could so they could have some downtime and have a relax. So it was an important part of their culture that we had to adhere to to make sure we had a working partnership there. And a, another good example that we we kind of were quite amused about was um, we, we were very strong and we got a very a good bond within our team, but we we like to help each other out. And we were setting up an exercise and usually we help the coaches. Look, what do you want? How do you want it set up, et cetera? However, when we went to Morocco, they, they had a kit man specifically designed to do that. And we started picking up the corns and moving the goals, and we got called off the pitch and said, "Look, in within the Moroccan culture, that's the kit man's job. You can't take his job away from him. He's meant to do that." So I think that was, you know, a learning curve and a bit of, uh, um, say, a bit of an amusement moment really for us. But that that would be an example. Another example would be when we went to Mexico to film, and um, they don't have their evening meal till about eight o'clock in the evening now i'm used to especially because i got younger kids food at half past five and then obviously if there's sport etc and then we have to try and get them to bed so i'm not usually used to eating that late but it was something you know that again being cautious of cultures that is something you you know you have to do and it's been a good learning curve
0: very evident that you get exposed to to many different cultures and have to, to adjust and adapt to that. And, and I'm sure being with FIFA, you get exposed to, to different facets of the game too. You've mentioned one around that you talk fast and you had to learn to adjust and adapt that. In your short period of working with FIFA, what else have you learned about yourself?
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot, to be honest. And I think... The first thing that I learned when I came to FIFA and it relates back to my other jobs was I've always been chasing that dream job. I've always been, you know, doing as many hours under the sun that I can do to try and get the best job I can. But I think ultimately. That's not the way to go about it. You'll get burnt out. And I think when I just started at FIFA, And I didn't have any time off between moving from the FAW to go into FIFA. I just went straight in and started doing as many hours as I can to complete projects and, you know, get, get to deadlines. But ultimately, I was inefficient. So the first thing I learned about myself was I was inefficient, that I wasn't planning and prioritizing work. I was just doing everything I can, working weekends, working evenings. But instead, I decided to take a step back and reflect. You know, how can I be more effective? And that was one thing I did was make sure that I plan my week. I prioritize and I give more time to my family because I got burnt out and I wasn't having that downtime that you need to refresh yourself. It's kind of like when you look at the the training or the recovery phase. So the the further, the harder you work, the more fatigued you get. And that was happening to me. But you need the downtime the relaxation, the holidays, the time with the family to try and build back up to get that recovery so you can go again. It was kind of I weren't fully recovering and I was coming back down, working hard again. So I just decided I needed to take a step back and look at what I'm doing. Can I be more effective? So that was the first thing. I think the next thing was kind of more to do with my decision making and my overall maybe happiness in terms of uh, I never really thought about it. I've always lived to the company's values that I worked and I'd never really thought about it um, until I started seeing a career coach where I thought about my own values what matters to me, what what are my values, what are my behaviours what I hold important where I now use that to inform my decision-making process, run everything through my values. And now I'm more content with my decision-making. I'm more confident within my decision-making, whereas previously I was always second-guessing myself, am I making the right decision doing this? So I would say the the, the values one then would be another important one. Um, Another one which I think is really important would be what I call relearning things. So, I think because I've been working in different cultures with different organizations, and I always thought, well, I think I was a very good organizer, a good project manager. But then when you come to FIFA, it's on a different level because people have a degree in project management, they have a master's degree in project management. So, they're world class at everything they do in every facet of the organization. So, I quickly found out I had to improve everything but more my planning organization my project management my strategic planning but I had to quickly look right how do I do this and if, if I relate it to football then and we look at I think Klopp and Guardiola playing a 4-3-3 three, three, and automatically people are looking at them and thinking oh a 4-3-3 is the way to play so they think the system is how people become successful but ultimately we all know within five years' time it might be a three-five-two. It's, it's whoever's doing well at the time. So I think it's it's that not having assumptions that what I know is always correct and what is always right. So challenging your beliefs and challenging what you do w- w- would be absolute key. As I spoke about, I think learning to pe- speak Spanish adding another bow to what I'm doing w- would be absolute key. And I think what one thing that really came to me was working on and maintaining and using your strengths. I think in in any development place, everybody focuses a lot on their weaknesses. But I think one thing that I've realized I've had to do is I will work a little bit on my weaknesses, but I'll focus mainly on my strengths. I'm quite creative. I like to try new things. I like to use technology and what I'm doing and I'm not afraid. I never have been afraid of making mistakes. So I like that element of risk. So even when I'm doing a presentation, I'm happy to add in animations, to bring things to life, to share with colleagues, so not losing that creativity. And I think one thing that I've always kind of um, been good at is supporting others and developing others through mentoring and through being a coach educator. So it's something I've realized that I need to continue to use my strengths within my role to make sure I'm maximizing the, the outputs of our team um and i think another aspect would be around being a scientist so it's critic critically looking at things so rather than being a preacher so trying to preach people to come on board with our our ideas and my ideas or trying to be a prosecutor where I'm, you know, you you need to do this because this is the right way to go about things, trying to force people to do things. Or even a politician then where it's that convincing people as politicians do into a way of thinking. It's more of always looking at all the facts, but then sharing what my opinion is based on those facts. So that critical thinking is something that's very big in FIFA and that evidence-based thinking, but be a scientist about it.
2: Well, you've obviously learned and are continually to learn quite a lot. You've learned things from past experiences. You're now learning certain things and then relearning, which is outstanding in moving forward, but equally expanding your awareness beyond where it was, because otherwise we get this fixed belief around how things need to be done. Now, in total... FIFA recognises 211 national associations and their associated men's national teams as well as 129 women's national teams. I I therefore think it would be a fair assumption to say FIFA is definitely a a multicultural organisation, Matt. How do you effectively work across so many different nationalities and cultures? Mm. But how does that function? Because... You're working with a, a big group of different nationalities.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. And what one of FIFA's key strategic aims is to be truly global. And I think it's something that's so important because of the governing body of the world. And if we look at, I think, first, FIFA as a large... Uh, translation department, which they're so helpful in everything we do. So when we're setting up meetings, it's that prior planning and organisation where, and it, although I might speak in my presentation in in English, the presentation itself would be done in several languages for whatever the meeting is, so if it's French, Spanish, German, russian portuguese that there would be a clear translation and then we, we would use a translator then if we're online or in person to translate what we're saying but i think first and foremost before we do that is it's that understanding of not be it not stereotyping people being open to their culture so I, I suppose the, the most awkward one is when you go to fist pump somebody and you don't know whether it's a game of rock paper scissors because you don't know what they're going to do and I think d- different nationalities some want a hug some will kiss on either cheek so it's doing your homework on how these people um, would greet Then, and I think it's being flexible and having that understanding that you might have to behave slightly different and I suppose another way as well um, which is quite an interesting one to get used to was we have meetings with the confederation of Oceania so we'll have meetings with Australia and New Zealand so sometimes it will be four or five in the morning for me where we will have those meetings so it's, it's just being aware that you know, we as FIFA are here to serve the member associations So do whatever you can to plan and prepare to really give a warm, warm welcome and um, provide a warm environment where the the individuals within that meeting feel they can ask wherever, wherever they want to. And I mean, sometimes even gestures, using body language, things like that are absolute key. And um, We have found even um for my limited spanish i've managed to go in and meet them for around 30 minutes where they didn't know i was only learning spanish so i think it goes either way where you know you, you can communicate in football
0: what what is it that excites you most working for fifa
1: the the thing that excites me the most is the 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 impact you can have is is the global impact so especially if we look at the training center And we we are providing learning content for everybody all over the world. So knowing that somebody in Brazil, somebody in Japan, Australia, South Africa, all these people will have access to the training centre and have the available learning content. And even things around supporting their game, supporting coach, educator, coaches, Grassroots coaches. I think it's knowing that what we're doing is part of the greater good. I think that's the first and foremost thing that really excites me. And then I look at the FIFA World Cup and I remember the 1994 World Cup, so it probably gives away my age a little bit. But I think it's knowing that you work for the organisation that runs the biggest tournament within the world. And then when you're walking around FIFA, you see how busy it is, how vibrant it is. And you can see that everybody's contributing that little bit to setting up this World Cup, but also supporting the teams that could potentially enter the World Cup. Now, the work that we do not wouldn't directly... Um, um, contribute to a team qualifying for the World Cup. But within 20 years, we might play some little part into a country, setting up a coach education structure, you know, designing effective practices, learning how to analyse the game. And then that might be their journey to, you know, at one stage, get into a World Cup or even sustaining the game within their country. So I think that's that's you know a very exciting uh, project to be part of.
2: Well, it certainly does sound excited without a shadow of a doubt. Now, look, the, the current FIFA chief of global football development is Arsene Wenger. Uh, what's it like working with someone who is so highly respected worldwide? The first thing that
1: comes to mind is inspirational. Um, I think if you look at his record, you look at his achievement of what he's done in the game, you, you can't not you know, look at him and think he's an inspirational figure. But I think the one thing that stands out to me, I remember having a discussion with Arsene and and trying to say to him that, you know, I I watch around three to five football games a weekend to try and upskill myself. And he said, is that all? He says, I do eight in a weekend. He said, you should be doing nearly 16 in a week. And I just thought to myself, wow, you know, that's demanding. But it inspired me to think, right okay i need to go back to him next time and not only tell him what games i've watched let him know what i've learned from those games what trends were happening with those games what we can do on the training center um and i think that that that's the first thing that stands out i think is passion for the game you look at how long he's been within the game and what he's achieved in the game he has no real reason or need to work at the moment but he's so committed to football, so passionate about the development of the game that, you know, he's an inspirational figure at FIFA due to that is that, you know, he's still working full time and he has such a huge drive to support world football. Um, And I think then Wise comes to mind. Um, In a discussion with him, he asked me how many times a week Do I do things that I don't like doing? And my response was, well, not not very rarely. And his challenge to me was 15 minutes every day. Do something you don't like for 15 minutes every day. And I have to be honest, it's something that I've done weekdays, Monday to Friday, where I will spend 30 minutes of, you know, reading a book. I don't take naturally to reading I prefer watching videos however it's something that over the time I've really been able to develop as a habit and it's given me that confidence to maybe try other things that I never thought that I would do so I I think I think it's that wise um, you know bit of words you think when he's giving you advice you have to do it because you know it's going to be of benefit to you.
0: Well there's very few People probably ever as influential as, uh, as Arsene Wenger's been in, in football. And I think wise is a, a great word to use from now, considering how long he's been around and uh, what he continues to to bring to the game and, and to people like yourself who are directly working with him, which I do have to say, I am very jealous because I was a, a huge Arsene Wenger fan when he was at Arsenal really? in those early Early years, I mean, he revolutionized really the the Premier League. Um, Absolutely. With that being said, he's an expert. No question he's an expert. And I'm guessing you've observed a lot of other experts, technical experts. What is it about each one of those experts that makes them so special?
1: I think... The, the key thing for me that they all have in common is their ability to communicate would be the key one and communicate clear messages on and off the field, whether that is designing a practice and setting learning outcomes within a practice that the players clearly understand and it's effective for them. They're not just setting maybe a constraint or a condition for the sake of it. They're doing it with the individual's um, improvement um, in the back of their mind um, and I think they're able to design simple but effective practices to support player learning would be key for me and I I look at people like um, Christian Flores who we, um, we filmed in Spain that in the future will be putting onto our platform um, in Mexico sorry speaking Spanish and I think his ability to paint clear pictures on how the practice is going to work and then su- support the players within it without stopping the practice. So he's getting that clear ball rolling time, but then his passion for supporting the players and driving the players on was absolute key. And I think that that's been another key one. We, we had the opportunity um, and the sessions are on the training center um, Eddie Buffroy delivered, and once again, the same was how he built up his session, how he explained what outcomes he wanted of his sessions, but then how he got the players to buy into the session. So I think you look at some sessions sometimes where the coach has always got to motivate the players and push the players. I think because of who he is and how he explained his session and explained what the players will benefit from the session – they automatically, when they went into the session, were motivated at a high tempo and wanted to learn from from Eddie. So I think that was a really good example of an experienced coach sharing what they can do. Um, I think another good technician would be Ben Bartlett, um, uh, you know, done some great work around practice design and around uh, the constraints-led approach, and I think again designing effective practices, but not overcomplicating them. Um, and I, I bring it back then to the likes of Pep Linders, who works at Liverpool, um, Joe Trelaw's, the former Benfica um, director of the academy, and David Hughes as well, who now is head of coach in Cardiff City, but formerly been in a number of clubs within the Premier League. I think they all had the same thing in terms of empathy for the player, understanding that players need support. They're not going to get everything straight away, but maintaining calmness, that composure, and made, sh- made sure that the players were at the heart and the centre of everything by not moving the things along too quick, not asking the players to do something that they might not be able to do, but putting the player in the centre of everything and then adding different things to support the player throughout the session.
2: So in watching these exemplars, Matt, the, the calmness, their ability to communicate clearly the message, the nice and composed and extremely organised in doing what they do to get clear desired outcomes. Uh, would, be, would be some of those, some qualities. I'm sure there'll be other qualities that each and every one of them possess. One in particular might be multi, multi multinational or uh, bilingual or multilingual. But on that, you'll be working on projects for, for FIFA, I'm sure. Is there any exciting projects that you can currently share with us that we, we can look forward to? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose
1: that the first thing would be further content that will be released within the FIFA Training Centre as we come along. More best practice examples, more expert interviews, and they, they will be put in French and Spanish as we move along. But I suppose the, the other thing that stands out is obviously we have a World Cup coming up. Now, I think as many people know, FIFA always do a technical study report around the World Cup's. Um, The first thing is we'll be creating more content than ever around World Cups to explain what's happening, to explain how coaches have prepared, to explain how they've analysed games, um, to to explain the successes that coaches have had, whether that be technically, tactically, physically, or even psychologically. So we'll be bringing out content within the training centre on this. But one thing that does um, stand out that I'd like to share is the work that Steve McLaren is doing within our technical study report. So we will bring out a technical study report, which will sit in the FIFA training center following the world cup. Then also what underpins that is um, our performance analysis department and Chris Loxton, who oversees that department, they've been growing and growing and developing what we call the football language. It's a one way of analyzing the game and they trialled that at the Arab Cup, and they'll be using that at the World Cup. So I think that's very exciting for the football intelligence that comes out of that that uh, project.
2: Give us a little bit more detail, and that excites me a little bit because you're just teasing at the moment. I'm extremely, you <laughs> used so some words true. earlier in the, uh, in the chat around being curious, and I'm massively curious around what specifically you're referring to there.
1: Yeah, so um, I think when Arsene came on board of FIFA, Arsene's vision was we have technical experts who have an opinion on the game, on how it's played and how they've analysed the game. But what he felt was very important that we had enhanced football intelligence or data that backs up what these experts are saying. So we're not just stating to you what an opinion is, we're giving you the facts that, a support in this person's opinion. And if I went further to the football language, we we will have a player per, per game. So the 22 players will all be analysed in every tournament. So that's why we call it enhanced football intelligence because there's more analysis going on than ever before. So we will be bringing new intelligence, new analysis that's not been done before. And the performance analysis department with Chris Locks then have done fantastic work there. So, yeah, look out for that one.
2: So, will we be getting that on? We're likely to be getting that on BBC, or is that likely? So, when the pundits will they be getting exposure to that content?
1: Potentially, that is potentially what may happen, but it will most definitely be on the FIFA training center.
0: In terms of technology, is there a from a coach development perspective, this is is there a technology that you've come across that you think is different or that you think as coaches, we need to explore more?
1: Yeah, great question, Dave. I think the, the key thing that stands out to me here would be there's been a lot of work done around VR, around virtual reality and goalkeeping. And I think one area that will go over to coach development will be using virtual reality to create the environment of the game. So it might be supporting decision-making. I think if you look at the best coaches at the moment, they're very good at making in-game changes to affect the game or to counter what the opposition manager has done. So I see virtual reality being used for coaches to put them in that environment where they can see the chaos of the game but the virtual reality will support them seeing the specifics amongst the chaos and support their decision-making. Do they need to change shape? What type of personnel should they change? You know, and I think that's what you see the top coaches doing. And I think that development will, will only push coach development further. And I think taking that a little bit further I think from a coach development perspective, we're still underexplored in terms of psychological development. So, you know, how is it, What is effective decision making? How do coaches make their decisions in the game? How do they plan and prepare? So I see more now work being done around the psychological development of the coach rather than we've looked at the technical, the tactical development of the coach, but I see that psychological development window now being the one that's going to really open up.
0: Final question. Uh, I wish we could keep going here. I need to, we need to start lining up more questions for you. But final one. Uh, David, I, I've got it. As I mentioned to you
2: during this, uh, prior to his Recording David and I, what we tend to do to help each other, we text each other. So we go right. He just texted me, said, I could sit here and listen for hours,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I could talk for hours and talk, converse with you for hours.
0: Well, the final question you can make it last as long as you want. Yeah, who in world football would you like to meet or observe? You've because you have mentioned some. Really good names. Who is there that you've not met that you would like to meet or observe?
1: Yeah, great question. And I could, I could give you a list because I want to meet as many as I can. Um, I think the person who stands out most to me would be Julian Nagelsmann. I think it's probably an obvious one, being such a young, up-and-coming coach, that what I really love is how he's used technology first and foremost i think everybody's aware of the the images that you know were released of his his large tv that he has at the side of the of the training ground and he draws the problem that the opposition are putting for his team on the pitch and they have to try and solve it so I, i love how he works and i'd love to kind of pull his brain you know on tactical development of the game Way he sees it going, how he sees coaches having a bigger impact on players, preparation. I, I think that'd be an absolute key one. I, I love all the practices I've seen him released. And i kind of like to quiz him on his principles, how he works, the types and modes of practices that he uses. I'm very, very interested in. Um, and I think the other one is... Um, I think it's just as obvious, but I think if somebody you've had on the podcast and I know you're very friendly with would be uh, Michael Beale, um, you know, just from reading his blogs, et cetera, and reading his website and seeing his approach and the how of coaching, you, you can see what a good person he is and how he implies his personality on his coaching and I got that from obviously listening to the Golders podcast as well, which is fantastic. So I'd like to, you know, spend a week with him and see how he works, how he operates. And I just love how when he talks about working with his team, you know, how it's about the team and it's, you know, there's kind of no, no eyes as such there. They're part of a multidisciplinary coaching team. I think, you know, from his experiences of player development, I think you could get some you could take a lot of gold dust off him. That's what I would say.
2: I'm going to ask a final, final question. We are extremely curious about both what you do, but what are you most curious about in doing what you do?
1: Yeah, the, the most curious thing I'm about, or I I, I I want to know about is two things. So f- first thing is the difference between people is It stands out to me most, you know, if we look at from filming in Mexico and how the Mexican FA and the Mexican Federation, how they worked and how they operated with each other, how is that different to how New Zealand or how Thailand or how Iceland do it? That's the first thing that stands out to me. But not only national squads, we will do youth academies. So how do these different academies work? And there's obviously no one right model, but I, what excites me most is sharing that with so many people. And then somehow let's discuss it and try and support each other to create what is best for you know X, Y, and Z. What, what's best for this individual? That, that would be the first thing that most stands out to me. The second thing would be, learning and development. So we're in the process at the moment of creating courses, coach educator development courses, technical leadership courses to support worldwide. I think the one thing that really stands out to me is how do people best learn? I think there's been obviously historically learning styles, learning preferences they changed them to, then there's no such thing. But I have ways where I prefer to learn maybe I don't learn better maybe I'm not actually consuming that information if that makes sense maybe I'm enjoying it because I'm just watching it I'm not taking it in I'm relaxing so I think one thing that I I will be investigating and obviously sharing my findings is how do people in football players on the pitch how do they best learn in the classroom or by doing You know, or by backing up a little bit of both somehow, reflecting on what they've done, but also how do coach educators learn? How do technical directors, sporting directors, how do they learn from doing their job and reflecting by doing courses, Um, you know, by listening to podcasts, watching interviews? How do we all best learn and, you know, what information can we share with each other? to to help each other to, you know, gain more knowledge. I, I, I think that, you know, that, that would be absolute key. And I suppose the final thing that I'm really kind of curious about is how, how much can I learn? How much do I need to need to learn? You know, what should I be learning and what should I be prioritizing for my own learning?
2: It's fascinating just to, to listen and get an insight, uh, Behind what you currently do, Matt. Listen, can I thank you uh, sincerely for, on behalf of David and myself for for being such a so open and very clear around your messages and your answers. It's been absolutely outstanding. We we thoroughly enjoyed this this time together, uh, and we wish you well. Wish you good luck in your in your current role, and. Uh, yeah, we look forward to having another conversation not too distant future.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you to you both for having me having me on. It's been great to chat with you and share experiences. So thank you very much.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated. And it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.